had it right on my, the tip of my tongue. <laughs> well, it's good to see you this morning. Pastor Stevens on vacation, so you get me. <laughs> I'm retired, but uh, sometimes, you know, you still come back, right? And uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, just want to encourage you, uh, we have Bible study and prayer meeting Wednesday nights. And, and you know I'm going to encourage you to come because I really think that as the church gathers together to pray at this time, especially this time when you see what's going on in the world, we have much to pray about and, and for each other, many things to pray for for each other. So I encourage you to do that. And then uh, take advantage of the Bible studies. Men, Friday mornings at 9 o'clock we have Bible study. If you want to come a little earlier and pray with us, that's great at 8 and uh, the women at uh, the ministry center at 9, at 9 also. So I encourage you to do that. Open your Bibles, and maybe they're still open to 1 Timothy 6. Um, the Apostle Paul writes the, these pastoral epistles, which are letters um, to pastors Timothy and Titus. Uh, Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and uh, Paul writes two letters Pastor Timothy, we have those as First and Second Timothy, so we can see that uh, we have this information. Um, and uh, he not only writes them to Timothy, but as we would look at the pastoral epistles, they're also written to us, pastors. Um, I'm still an elder, so I guess I don't know. I guess you could call me. People still call me Pastor Ed. That's okay. You can call me Pastor Ed. Um, but uh, to the pastors. Today, that's where we get much of how we are supposed to do things, how we are supposed to adhere to the word of God. Timothy preached the word. Well, that's not just Timothy preached the word. That's Ed Hart preached the word. That's Pastor Stephen preached the word. That's um, Nate Towers, who will be speaking tonight, uh, preached the word. Um, all pastors were told. So it, it's written to all of us. So, um, so we see in these epistles that we have instruction as to what, but we also have some instruction as to uh, how to do it, and actually um, what to do, and what gives the pastor authority to actually say, go do something. Now, some of you might cringe at that, um, but I think we're going to take a look at that this morning and see what uh, Paul tells Timothy. So go back to the chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, and let's see here um, in chapter 1 um, what he starts out with. Just look at the first few verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may do what? Charge, command, a number of uh, different, basically the word is command, command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. So if you're in the ESV, it's, it uses the word charge, the NAS, NAS uses instruct, which I think is, is just a little misleading because the parangelo, that word in the Greek, really means, means to command. Actually, in the King James, it's translated command 20 times. And you'll see it in the ESV command, uh, translated command. So it's not like... I'm going up to these uh, false teachers and saying, you know, if you don't mind, would you stop teaching false doctrines? I mean, what if there was a false teacher in this church and you knew about that false teacher and Pastor Stephen said, well, I'm just going to encourage you not to speak that, right? 
What's the matter, Jim? You having a problem with that? Jim's sitting back there going, no. No, I think a number of us would probably stand up and say, Pastor Stephen, you need to do more than that. And that's why, that's why Paul tells Timothy, he says, he says don't, don't encourage these guys to stop preaching. He says, command them to stop preaching, right? So, so right away, right at the beginning of, of the, the epistle here, we see um, something very, he not only tells them that the false teaching is dangerous, right? We see that, um, Two things: one, the dangerous result of false teaching that has on believers, so it has to be it has to be stopped. It it must be dealt with firmly. So command certain men not to teach false doctrines. And the other is so Pastor Timothy, who is a young pastor, knows that he has the authority to do it. He is given the authority as the pastor of a church to command certain things. We're going to see what kind of things they are. But he is uh, absolutely given that, that authority. Now, a young pastor may have a problem with that. You know, a young guy comes in, maybe some of these false teachers were older men, and, you know, what's he going to do? Well, he needs some authority behind um, what's he, what's he, uh, what, the action that he's going to take. Go over to uh, chapter 4 with me. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we have put that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Got that? I think the word command is in the ESV as well, isn't it? Same word. Um, command and teach these things. So, so you're going to command certain things and you're going to teach certain things and there's going to be some authority um, be behind that command. So we see that people generally, we know, do not like to be commanded. Do you like to be commanded to do anything? <laughs> Valerie, you go. No, she's good. She says, no, I don't. That's a very normal <laughs> reaction, right? We do not like to be told what to do generally, especially in this country, right? I mean, we're free people. We're free way freedom, right? I can do what I want, right? <laughs> Well, to an extent, um, that's, that's true. But it, it's interesting because I think much of the preaching has gone down that road. And, and one expositor writes this. He says, Paul's command to Timothy contrasts sharply with much contemporary preaching. Preaching in our day is often intriguing, but seldom commanding. Often interesting, but less often transforming. Paul does not ask Timothy to share or make suggestions. He asks him to, he tells him to command. So there are times for that kind of communication, obviously. And we would look at that as the pastor's exhortation. I'm really encouraging you guys to come Wednesday night. Now, I can't command you. Well, maybe I could. I can't, because it is biblical that the church gathers together and prays, right? That's a biblical concept, is it not? Everybody agree with that? Biblical. Acts 12, right? Peter's in prison. What was the church doing? Their own thing. They gathered together and prayed. Peter's life, he, he was going to be taken out, basically, right? And that's when Peter is released, and he walks out. And remember, the gates opened, and Peter went through, and he said, I don't know, I thought this was a dream or something, right? I mean, it's really cool. And, and I believe there's a direct connection to that, to that prayer. And, of course, we see Hezekiah when he was facing uh, a totally insurmountable uh, army coming at him, 
And he took the letter from King Sennacherib and he, and he laid it out and he prayed and, and he prayed. And then we read in Isaiah, I think it's, I can't remember the chapter, but the very words God says, because you prayed, this is what I'm going to do. So I could say, I really exhort you to come Wednesday night to prayer meeting. It's important. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for Israel. Let's pray for peace in Jerusalem. How about that? It's a pretty good thing to pray for right now, right? So there's that kind. And there's uh, urging. Like, and we see those words here. I urge you, Timothy, to do certain things. But then he says, I command you. Those are different words. So I can urge you. I can encourage you. And then I can um, command you, which those, I like to be urged. I like to be encouraged. I'm not so sure I want to be commanded, okay? Um, so we see, flip over to Hebrews with me, chapter 13, quickly. Because let's look at it from the other side. Let's look at it from the side of the receiving side, you know, like um, where the pastor's told here, Pastor Timothy said, I want you to command and teach these things. Then we're going to see what John read earlier in, in uh, chapter 6, where he says, command those who are rich in this world, So, which is all of us, by the way. But look at Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So, see, they have to give the account, right? Obey them so that their work may be a joy and not a burden for you. That would be of no advantage to you. It's no advantage to you. And then Hebrews 13, 7 defines who those leaders are, and he says those are the ones who taught you the word of God. So very, very clear there on the, on the receiving side. Um, when I was in the service, I knew it was no advantage to me to disobey um, an order, um, and thereby I'd end up being a burden on my commanding officer. I knew it was not, not going to work out well. And I watch. I was brought up in a home where I, my dad said do something, my mom said do something. It was yes sir, yes ma'am. I didn't say those words, but I did it. <laughs> um, and it was interesting when I was in the so when I went in the service, I didn't find it all that difficult. You know, you're you're in boot camp. You have a marine gunny sergeant telling you what to do. I didn't find it all difficult. I mean, it was like he said, you know, come to attention. It was like I guess I come to attention. You know. But there were guys there that were always like, you can't tell me what to do. You know what they ended up doing? Push-ups. <laughs> Running 10 miles with a pack on their back. Peeling potatoes. That's not a bad thing, right? You guys that work in food services. That's not a punishment, is it? <laughs> it was in the service. So, okay. It, it didn't work out well when you, didn't, um, when you didn't obey. All of this to say that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is instructing Pastor Timothy and every other biblical pastor... Remember that the commands must be biblical, right? Not uh, don't eat meat on Fridays or something crazy like that. That's not an authoritative statement because it's not biblical. So we want to be careful of those things, right? And so we see that uh, this is intended. It's intended um, for their good and and. Paul tells Timothy to command certain things, and he says command and teach certain things. And these must always be intended for the overall good of the body. So any commands given, if we look at Scripture, they're always for our good. God is working all things for what? 
for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is working all things for his glory. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it unto the glory of God. So God's glory, his glory, and our good are working together in these commands that we have from Scripture. And they're commands, not suggestions. They are clearly um, commands, always intended for our good. So what does Paul tell Timothy to command here in verses 17 through 19 in chapter 6? Go over there. So Paul tells Timothy, and thereby, because this is a pastoral epistle, all pastors, in their context, right? We, we bring things into the, the context, but the commands are the same. Command the congregation in Ephesus, specifically those who were rich. Ephesus was a very rich um, city. You're all rich. Anybody disagree with that here? Some of you may be. Do we have any poor lifters here? <laughs> they're all they're all on that, right? I'm doing something. I know you got some poor college students that say, I'm, I just don't have two nickels to rub together. We're all rich. I've traveled all around this world. I've been east and west. We're rich. Look over your shoulder. You're rich. You have food to eat. Nobody's missing a meal, right? It's warm in here. Uh, I think you're probably going back to a warm house, be my guess, or a warm dorm or whatever. Um, so, so he says, those who are rich in this present world, and he says, command them not to be arrogant, right? Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, and that's, this is the NIV, which is implied in the others, because it just continues on in that sentence, all right? To do good. We're in this season, we, we, you know, I was praying with John, and as he was praying, I was just praying with him and saying amen to his prayer. We are blessed with so much, and this is the season, kind of the season, we, we gave thanks for all God has given us, right, a couple weeks ago, and now's an opportunity, which what do we traditionally do on Christmas? We have received the gift of God, the, the very Son of God, so what do we do? We, we give, right? Well, anyway, he says, command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So here we have a commandment with a promise which starts with the pastor commanding his congregation not to do something. Interesting. So what's Timothy, by implication, all pastors commanded not to do? He says, do not be arrogant. Do not put your hope in wealth. Got that? CL, got that? Don't be arrogant, CL. That's a command. I'm commanding you not to be arrogant. Could I, could, could Pastor Steve, I'm going to use Pastor Stephen, he's your senior pastor. Could he really do that? Could he say, Carol, I'm commanding you not to be arrogant? Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, you could say yeah. yeah. You can respond. Interesting, isn't it? That we even have to we have to kind of think about it a little bit. I, mean, I just read the words out of scripture. I mean, this isn't like I'm commanding you to not eat meat on Fridays. This is like Paul says to Timothy, 
and thereby to all pastors, command the rich, that's all of us in America, not to be arrogant. Okay. All right, everybody got that? So I'm commanding you all not to be arrogant. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting feedback on this sermon, I can tell. All right. Command the congregation not to put your hope in wealth. That's pretty easy for some of us because some of us say we don't have any wealth. <laughs> um, but we do, don't we? We have wealth. Once again, we see a commandment. Don't put your, don't, don't put your trust and your hope in wealth, folks. I find it interesting. Wouldn't it seem like, when we, when we think of Scripture, wouldn't it seem like you'd say, I'm really encouraging, guys. I'm really encouraging. Don't put your hope in wealth, you know? Or, or maybe an exhortation that it's really stupid to put your hope in wealth. He didn't say that. He says, Daryl, don't put your hope in wealth. Thank you, Daryl. She shook her head yes. <laughs> now, what I want you to see is that in Scripture, when the pastor is preaching the very word of God, he is speaking for the writer, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to be careful, and this takes discernment on your part. Is the pastor speaking the word of God, right? Because you can be easily misled. So we want to, that's why we have a Bible in front of us. That's why you, you open your Bible and you say, I want to read it right with you. I want to see what this, what this says. And then if for some reason in your mind you're saying, you know, there's something wrong with that, what the pastor is telling me to do, there's something, then go talk to the pastor. It's really important because you want to be able to do that. So one could say, well, um, you can command me, but that doesn't mean I'll do it. And even if I do it, it may not, I may not do it with the right heart. Would you agree with that? No? You can, you can tell me to do that. And that is true, but that is to your disadvantage, according to this passage. That is to your disadvantage, which you, not the pastor, will have to answer for. He will have to answer for whether or not he gave the command. See, Paul is telling Timothy, he says, give this command. So what if Timothy said, no, I'm not going to do that? Yeah. So Paul's telling Timothy, as he's telling all pastors, he's saying, what you need to do is you need to give this command. All right, I give the command. Do not be arrogant and don't trust in your wealth. Got that? Everybody goes. <laughs> I see some of you shaking your head yes, right? Okay. My job's done. Okay. So I'm saying, Pastor Stephen, stand here. His job's done. Now, he, of course, he needs to obey his own, you know, what he's doing, but his job is done. Now, if you decide to say, well, you know what, I don't have to do what he says. I mean, who's he to tell me what to do? Or, or maybe I'll go do it, but I'm not going to do it with the right attitude. That is then your responsibility, and you will answer to that. He will answer as to whether he's been obedient in saying it. You will answer as to whether or not you're obedient in doing it. So Paul's not telling Timothy to make a suggestion to the church. It's a commandment directly from the Holy Spirit, the word of God, from the messenger, and that is the pastor to the people. Um, when my superior officer, when I was overseas in Vietnam, and he said, Hart, 
I want you to go to bunker number three, and I want you to stay there, and I want you to defend this camp with all the means that you have. Um, what do you think my answer was? Yes, sir. My answer was not. You know, that's really a good idea, um, Commander, but actually I was planning on writing my girlfriend Faith a letter tonight. <laughs> what do you think my commander would have done? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he'd be real happy with me. It was yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we went. Now, I really do not believe Stephen wants to be called sir. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't. I know Stephen very well. Um, so it isn't a matter of that. We address that uh, in the service. You would say, yes, sir, and then you would go do what you were told, and you would do it well. Because, why? Because it was for our good. We didn't do that. If we didn't do that, you die. No, you go do that. So there was only one response that was expected, and that was based on his rank. And it, the answer was, yes, sir. And I believe the pastor, when given, which the pastors normally don't give many of those, um, but I believe they should be respected. And I believe when a pastor says, this is biblical and this is what you should do, then it should be obeyed. And then he has discharged his responsibility now. Now it's up to us, uh, the congregants, to decide whether we want to obey or not. Um, so uh, whether coming from Paul or Timoth to Timothy or Timothy to his congregation in Ephesus or any good pastor to their congregation, based on the word of God, he's got every right to, right to say it. If he's going to be obedient, actually, he must say it. So what does he say? He says, I command you not to be arrogant nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain <laughs> in our day, right? I was reading an article that said the government's going to have to start borrowing money to pay the interest on the money they borrowed. Okay? Think about that, right? So uncertain. But here's, here's I find this so fascinating. It's a command. But put your hope in God. You're commanded to put your hope in God. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't we normally say, I'm inviting you to put your hope in God. I'm asking you to put your hope in God. That's what the Word of God says, by the way, here. He says, command them to put their hope in, in God. So that's, I find that fascinating as well, right? Um, it's a command. Pastor's job is done. Ball now is in the court of the congregation. You can decide what you're going to do. And aren't you glad for that last part of that, who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment? You don't have to feel guilty if you enjoy the things God has blessed you with. Amen? Amen? This isn't a guilt trip. God has blessed us. I feel so blessed to live in the Adirondacks. I mean, wake up in the morning. Yeah, I don't day like today. Okay. Most days. <laughs> right? It's beautiful. The mountains. Even the snow. I am, I am just so blessed. And I can enjoy that. I can enjoy that. You can enjoy that. You enjoy a good steak? Boy, I mean, you guys at our men's conference, Lexi, I, I don't know who else worked with you, but that last dinner we had at the men's conference, I'm telling you, shrimp, Cajun shrimp, is that what it was? Steak done rare. Oh, man, was that good. Do I have to feel guilty when I go home? 
Faye said, did you eat your broccoli? <laughs> no, she didn't. I did eat some broccoli. I think you had broccoli. You, have, you always have some good stuff there, too, right? The best stuff, though, is the steak and the shrimp. But anyway, I didn't feel, I didn't feel guilty about enjoying that at all. If I stop at Dunkin' Donuts and have a jelly donut, guess what? <laughs> a little bit, maybe. <laughs> he gives us all good things to enjoy. What, what, what a great, um, what a great promise um, we have there. But there's more. There's more. Look at the rest of it here. That he commands, this is all part of the command, all right? All part of the same command. Verse 18. And that's why the NIV writers put the word command in there. Because it's all part of that same. Just in case you forgot and you thought, okay, that's the command is done. Now I've got to go on with the recommendation. No, it's all one command, all right? So then he says, command them to do good. To do good. This time of year. To do good. To be rich in good deeds. Right? To be generous and willing to share whatever you have. Right? Isn't that good? Rich in good deeds, generous, willing to share. Last week's uh, Pastor Stephen was in John 13 where Jesus washed his disciples' feet showing how he would serve them as an example for them and for us to follow in doing good and serving others. Um, and I, I see that. That's so neat. And then shortly after that in, that, in that same chapter, Jesus shows his authority in verse 34. And he says in verse 34, he gives this command. He says, a new command I give you that you must love one another as I have loved you. So he gives them the example, which I think is always a good way to serve and to lead, is he gives them the example of serving, right? That was chapter 13. And then after that, he gives them a command. And he says, okay, by the way, this is not optional. I'm giving you a command to love others and love one another as I have loved you, so you will love one another. Not an option. A true leader will serve. We saw that at our men's conference through, past, uh, through General Reno as he, he told us. And as, as we could see him serving us. And here's a three-star general. And, and I love the picture I have in my mind of him kneeling in front of Mike, giving him a medal. Three-star general kneeling in front of you. That's pretty cool. That doesn't happen to everybody, by the way. Most people would never even run into a three-star general. And here is one who would get on his knees and give Mike um, a medal. However, let me tell you something. That three-star general didn't come to be a three-star general without giving some commands. And I would imagine, knowing General Reno, they were obeyed. You know, for over 20 years, I remember the first Sunday they came here back in 1997, and First Sunday, he came up. From then on, he would come up to me and grab my hand before I would come up and preach. You know, when we used to have our gather uh, greeting time? And he looked me in the eye. It was kind of like, I, I didn't know whether to salute or what, you know? He looked me in the eye, and he would say, Pastor Hart, are you still preaching the word of God? And I'd say, yes, sir, only by God's grace. 
and he'd smile and he'd say, good, and he'd shake my hand. Um, you know, there, you, you can tell there was authority, and yet to see him serve as he did at the men's conference was a great example um, to all of us. <clears throat> so the instruction here coming from Paul of Timothy is for Timothy to command, not ask his congregation to do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, ready to share. And his motive, this is so neat, his motive is, his motive is for their good. This is for your good. This is for your good and God's glory. Look at verse 19. In this way, in what way? Not being arrogant, not putting your hope in wealth, being filled with good deeds, being willing to share, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Paul tells Timothy that the results of obedience to this command will not be for Timothy to have an easier life or to be puffed up because people um, obey him, but his congregation will be securing a firm foundation in heaven and the life to come. That's, that's an amazing, amazing statement. Now, he's not saying, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying they're going to get to heaven by these good works. Everybody have that? Is that very clear? He's not saying you're going to get there by these good works. No, 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 no. No, what he's saying is you are going to be building a firm foundation for when you get there. And I believe that foundation, if you look over in Matthew 6, is the same thing as treasures in heaven. For when you get there, when you arrive, your future life in heaven, believers all arrive by God's grace. We know that. But the foundation, that word foundation, is something that is solid, immovable. We build foundations up here, and you go down how far, Al? Four feet at least, right? Four feet. I go down to Florida, and I watch them build houses. They put a pile of sand. You ever watch them do this? You know, they push all the sand together. They pound it down, and then they pour on top of it. Yeah, and they got a little footing going around it about this deep, you know. Well, they don't have frost down there, right? You want a firm foundation. You pour a good foundation. You go down to something solid, and you stand on that. And that's what this is talking about, solid, immovable, lasting. Compared to the treasures on earth in Matthew 6, where moth and rust destroy, and we know that up here, right? And thieves break in and steal. And that is just the opposite. The treasures in heaven, which Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6, 20, um, they are the firm foundation for the coming age. So you look at this. Now, I'm just going to address something that I hear too often, and that is Isaiah 64, 6, where it says their righteous deeds are as filthy rags. You ever heard that? You ever heard somebody, maybe even standing behind his pulpit, I don't know, I hope I haven't said it. I hope Pastor Stephen has. Well, you, our works are as filthy rags. That is not true. I, I am here to tell you, no, they are not. Isaiah 64, 6 is one of the most misapplied scriptures, I think, in, in the whole Bible, which I think discourages people from doing good works. Well, <laughs> if my works are filthy rags... <laughs> Why do them? Why is he commanding us to do good works if our good works are filthy rags? Well, go over to Isaiah 64 with me. 
And let's just take a quick look at that. I've heard it at least 100 times. And I say, no. No, 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 no. I'm not disagreeing with scripture here. I'm just saying it's misapplied. Now, if you're counting on your good works to get you to heaven, and you're not trusting in Christ, they are as filthy rags. Got that? But let's look at what he says here, Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts like, are like filthy rags. That's where it comes from, right there. Right? We will shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. That was Israel's situation right there. All right? Going through the motions. Right? Read Isaiah 58 sometime. Oh, Lord, we're fasting for you. And he says, stop it. (laughs) No. You're doing it all for the wrong reasons. Well, so what we see here is... We just saw the believers are commanded to be rich in good works, which will be laying up for them a firm foundation in the coming age. Well, which is it? Filthy rags or, or treasures in heaven and a firm foundation? And I'm telling you for the believer, right here, it is treasures in heaven and a firm foundation and even better than that, and, and, and we'll see this. So this is not speaking about the redeemed, obedient church of Jesus Christ. Apart from faith in the blood, shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, works are as filthy rags. No matter how many good works you do, if they're not done through faith in Christ and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are worse than useless. All right? So remember that. However, those good works which were done in obedience to the word, done in the name of Christ, by those having faith in Christ, will be... They, they will be a covering in heaven. Actually, a real neat covering. Go over to Revelation 19 with me. We get a little glimpse of heaven in this. I just want to clear this up because I, I, I hear it so often. Well, you know, our works are like filthy rags. No, they're not. Maybe yours are. <laughs> Mine aren't. No, no, no. No, no, no. If they're done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Christ by God's grace, they are. I'm going to show you what they're going to be. Look here. Revelation 19, 6 through 8. We get a little glimpse. I mean, this is so cool. I love this. This is something to look forward to, isn't it? Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, that's us. That's believers, okay? His bride has has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Filthy rags? No. Not for you, if you're a believer. Fine linen. Now you can say, you know, we have pictures of fine linen. 
Any of the guys here want to be dressed in fine linen? <laughs> you know, I, I have a picture of this kind of, I don't know, semi-see-through stuff that I would never wear, right? <laughs> we're going to be covered this fine linen. Of course, we're covered with the righteousness of Christ, but, but these, I believe these works, this fine linen, is going to be something that will just bring greater glory to God. So, maybe some of you are going to be standing in your underwear. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be an interesting sight. You'll be there, okay? You know, like we read in 1 Corinthians 3, right? You know, your works are burned up, but at least we're there. Kind of like the family standing outside of the house that just went down. We lost everything, but we're here. Have the smell of smoke on your clothes, maybe, but we're here because of the faith, because of God's grace. We're here. It isn't the works that are going to get you there. But there clearly is in Scripture rewards. Send your treasures to heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break into and steal. So you want to send them to heaven as a firm foundation. And then we're told here in Revelation that those very works of the saints are the clothing that will bring greater glory to God. So there is a reason to do this. My question is, how will you be dressed for the occasion? Well, you can change that. You know, if you still have breath in you, you're still alive this morning, right? You're all alive, right? Adelise is shaking her head. She's alive, very much so. She has a whole life. Adelise has a whole life ahead of her. To, to build that foundation, to accomplish those things in the name of God, for the glory of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, as you trust in Christ for your salvation, she has that power to accumulate all kinds of things. And all of us do. If we have breath, we have life, and we have time. And therefore, Paul commands Pastor Timothy back in closing. Go back to 1 Timothy. I just wanted you to get a glimpse of that. So you know what I'm going to say? If you come up to me ever again and say, well, you know, our... our Good deeds are as filthy rags. I'm going to say, no, nope, no. Nope. Maybe yours are, but not mine. Okay? So let's think about the scriptures that we say so easily and look at the context and be careful how we use them. So Paul tells Timothy, command. Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and that includes all his spiritual blessings. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share, and this way you will, they will lay up uh, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You want to take hold of that eternal life? You, you'll have eternal life, but I love the way he says this. You really want to take hold of it? You know, that's the picture I have. When you get to heaven, you know, it's like, okay, I got here. That's cool. Take hold of eternal life? And you can do that now. You can take hold of eternal life right now and live your, live your life that way. So the command isn't for the pastor to be on some power trip exercising his, his authority to be able to tell people and show people who's in charge. No, it's for the eternal benefit of the listener of his congregation. And that is Paul's point in telling Timothy, and that's Paul's point and the Holy Spirit's point in telling us. 
that as we preach and teach and as you read the scriptures, you take those as real. All of us are rich in this present world, but we must look forward. Have that eternal perspective and look forward to that, that future, that, that life in heaven. So I'd say, um, you know, just on this whole subject, I'd say when Pastor Stephen, I haven't heard him give us too many commands, but if he gives us a command, it's going to be yes. We were discussing this in men's Bible study on Friday. What if Pastor Stephen said, I'm calling a fast on Monday for this nation? I think many here would go, nah, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't. I don't like fasting. I can't fast or whatever. I believe a scripture, if he could do that, because clearly it, it is fasting is, is a biblical thing. I believe he could say, I'm calling a fast. I mean, we have scriptures where they did it, right? <laughs> Ezra did it at the, at the Ahava Canal. He called a fast. People fasted. God answered their prayer, and he gave them safety for their journey, Right? So I'm not saying, Steve, I'm not going to speak for Stephen. All I'm going to say is we need to be aware that if Pastor Stephen, he'll probably ask us to do something nicely. I just know Stephen, and he will. I'd say do it. But if he says we need to do this, and he might word the command that way, then we need to do this, right? And it's for our good. I do not believe Pastor Steve would ever tell us to do anything that was not for our good and for God's glory. And so we can, we can take that home. I'm just going to give you two New Testament commands, all right? Two New Testament commands. We, we always look at Old Testament commands and say, well, they don't necessarily apply to us today because God's given these commands. The pastor who's speaking for God, using the word of God, has every right to give the same command. Acts 17.30, let me read it to you. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Isn't it interesting? God's not inviting. Isn't that the words you usually hear? God's not inviting everybody to repent. God is commanding everyone to repent. And when you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 there, you'll see the words, for those who do not obey the gospel doesn't say for those who don't accept or, or, you know, accept the invitation or whatever. We can use those words. They're not bad words. But I just want to emphasize that there is a command in Scripture that we must repent and believe the gospel. That's commanded. And if you don't, it's disobedience. And that disobedience, obviously, that is the sin that um, will cause you eternal damnation, not, not believing that. So clearly... Um, not all will obey this command. <laughs> if I look at another one, this is the second one, 1 John 3, 23 and 24, and this is God's command. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he has given us. As we obey, that's Spirit-powered obedience gives us assurance that we are actually saved. But that's a command. I could stand here and say, I, by the authority of God's word, am commanding you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Put your trust in him. Your faith in him. Now, that 
may have an effect, may not have an effect. You may choose to obey, you may choose to disobey. I've done my job. All right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So the Philippian jailer asked, right? Yes. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What, what a great promise. What a great promise. So here we see a command and a promise and a little information about how you respond to the teaching of the word of God. So have you obeyed God's command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, obey today. I mean, that's always the best thing. First-time obedience, right? That's what we teach our children. First-time obedience. Not, I'm giving you one chance, I'm giving you a second chance. You know what you teach your children then? You teach your children that they have one chance and they have a second chance. <laughs> no, teach them first-time. First-time obedience. Because first-time obedience is really what we see right here. You must, first-time, obey and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to encourage you. Come to communion tonight. I'm going to encourage you. I haven't studied enough to say whether I can command you, okay? <laughs> but participating in communion, do this often, as often as you do this, right? It is a command in Scripture. And if you're a believer, we, we should come and take part in communion because it is that remembrance. And I'm excited about having Nate here, Nate Towers. I mean, Nate was here as a lifter years ago. Some of us discipled Nate and... Um, you know, we love Nate, and so I'm excited about having him preach tonight at 6 o'clock here, and then we'll, we'll have communion together. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we looked at some wonderful promises, but we also looked at some difficult passages. At least they're difficult for us in our flesh. Um, but, Father, we know that you tell us everything Every one of your commands is, is for our good. And then as we read them or we hear them from a pastor, Lord, we should have that heart that desires to obey. So, Lord, I, I just pray this, this season that we're entering, this Christmas time where we look at the, the giving of gifts to others, and may we truly be generous, not just going overboard with children and things like that, but generous with those who are in need. You have amply supplied us. You, you have richly supplied us with all things, and you've given us those things to enjoy. So we thank you for that, but Lord, we want to take so much of what you have given us and help others who are in need. Lord, we know that really when we face that time of our works, it won't be how much we gave away. It'll probably be how much we kept for ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that we would be generous. We wouldn't put our hope in riches, but we'd put our hope in God, in our very Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, building this firm foundation in heaven for us. What wonderful promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all these folks, Lord. I pray your blessing on them throughout the day and as we gather tonight to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord, bless this time tonight as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.